This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 449 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund are one more game away from winning the championship after beating FC Augsburg 3-0 in Augsburg. First win on the road in six attempts, <laughs> or seven that is. And of course Bayern Munich uh, did lose to RB Leipzig, which all made that possible. So we'll talk about that. And have to preview the game against Mainz. And uh, Mats Hummels did extend his contract for one more year. So that's another topic we will have on the agenda. Other than that, I don't know what else to talk about. But I feel like this is plenty dis to discuss. So with me here today for this very exciting episode. Uh, Lars Perman. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan. Whenever it gets exciting, you get the most excitable panel <laughs> together, I suppose. So I'm, I'm doing... Doing quite well, thank you, Stefan. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before before I introduce Matthias Lars, uh, why we're on the subject uh, on the last moment excitement scale, how high are we right now? Uh, as What's high the as max? It, as it, that's what I was going to say. As high as <laughs> is it, it gets, like one? <laughs> so perhaps a, a six out of uh, seven or whatever. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, quite honestly, I'm I'm not that worried yet. I think. There, there will be a time on on Saturday, few minutes before kickoff, well, when I do get a bit shaky. But generally speaking, I'm not that kind of uh, a flappable football fan, so I'm, I I think I'll be all right. All right. Well, I asked you about your excitement, not so much about the anxiety. That's a whole another subject we can get into. But also here, of course, Matthias Zuk. Hello, Matthias. Sorry for uh, having asked more important questions mm. first, Lars. But uh, how are you doing? What's your excitement scale? Oh, it's, you know, apparently I'm so old, according to one person on Twitter, um, that, uh, you know, I've, I've been there, done that. No, I'm extremely excited, and I, I realized it as the match was building up until the 58th minute. That's when I realized just how damn tense I was the whole time. But I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, yeah, tense is a, tense is a good word. I... I want to say I'm I'm very positive actually. I've been really excited and maybe uh, the anxiety will creep in at some point uh, <laughs> uh with the uh, opening whistle probably at the very latest, but um yeah, I'm I'm very positive. I'm, <laughs> I I I honestly can't wait uh for Saturday to be here and uh, I'll be honest, I haven't slept well uh since Sunday because I've been lying awake imagining <laughs> certain things like Marco Royce lifting the Meisterschale into the Dortmund sky and all these kind of things that uh, go along with it because it is very real now and uh, the trust in this team I want to say is pretty high especially in a home game against Mainz who have uh, little things to do but maybe we should start chronologically and uh, I don't know if we need to start with the Bayern game last uh, 
I'll leave that up to you a little, but uh, if you don't want to start there, uh, start with the Augsburg game. What are your thoughts on, on that weekend? I mean, seeing as I did not watch the Bayern game, um, <laughs> both because of, uh, I guess, uh, trying to voodoo myself into causing Bayern's defeat and also just because I don't usually enjoy watching them. Uh, I guess we have to start with the, with the Dortmund game. Um, you asked earlier about my level of excitement uh, slash anxiety. I have to say I wasn't really particularly worried about the uh, game on Sunday because um, despite what maybe public opinion or whatever wants to tell us uh, about Dortmund over the last few years, um, they've been excellent this season. Whenever Bayern have dropped points, they've won all their games on the same match days. I think it's now uh, five wins uh, after or on the same match day as uh, Bayern's five defeats and it's like combined score of uh, 18 to two goals if I'm not mistaken something like that anyway so I was sort of quite uh, convinced that Dortmund would not uh, miss that penalty if you like um, with Bayern <laughs> losing on Saturday and then that's a the very German way to say it in English <laughs> yeah uh, missing a sitter would perhaps be better. Um, I think it, in in this case, uh, people might remember that Sebastian Kehl and, and a few others of Dortmund were complaining a bit about the the scheduling of the last few match days in the Bundesliga, seeing as Dortmund always had to play after Bayern. Uh, we now see that there might be an advantage in that, and I think Sebastian Aller said the same in a in an interview with Sportbild uh, on on Wednesday. Um, I think. It definitely helped them knowing that, you know, 180 minutes uh, and you have destiny in your own hands. So um, I think I was quite uh, convinced of, of a win before, as I said, but I was actually surprised at how well they played. Um, given the circumstances, I think it was arguably the best away performance since I don't know when. Uh, I, I think some people made the argument that the, they played well against Bochum but didn't have the luck of the draw slash uh, refereeing decisions. But, uh, you know, scoring goals and taking your chances is, is kind of an important part in football. So in, in that term, uh, first half really good, not taking their chances. That, that happens. Uh, forced a red card, which I think was kind of harsh, but uh, some Augsburg players and personnel didn't really dispute it, so who am I to uh, make the argument that that wasn't a red card? And then I think in the second half against 10 men, kind of felt like an inevitability of, of their scoring, and ultimately they did with, uh, uh, you know, Sebastian Allaire, real striker's moment of genius, uh, making use of an individual error by a defender, and then uh, I think once Dortmund had opened the floodgates, I, I guess even the most pessimistic of fans will have been reasonably optimistic. Of although um, you know the the ten fifteen minutes after the first goal were quite nervy, and there was this one counter attack or, or long ball chance for Augsburg, which Kobel saved quite brilliantly. But uh, I think even within the game, the reaction to uh, those nervy moments were was was uh, very positive and ultimately I think in that kind of must-win situation to come out with a 3-0 win against a side that is quite difficult to play against, hasn't lost a lot of home games all season long is, is quite the statement from, from Dortmund. So definitely uh, 
yeah, a, a strong performance uh, in a very important situation. And that's something that we haven't always been able to say about Dortmund. Yeah, before I add my mustard <laughs> to stay in the, the English way, Matthias, uh, what uh, what are your thoughts on, on that game? I, I'm I'm fairly certain we will both echo a lot of what Lars just said, but uh, nevertheless, since, uh, you know, <laughs> it's an important game, I don't mind hearing the same thing twice, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was the most complete away performance uh, in a very long time. Like Lars said, uh, you know, Bochum away was was a good performance, but at the end of the day, you only got a point. Uh, and the here, second half wasn't as good. Correct. Here you got all three points against a team that we all know has been a bit of a thorn in the side for Dortmund away from home for a number of seasons. Um, yeah, I mean, the red card, I also looked at it and went, ooh, that's, that's a little... That's a little tight to call that. I mean, if if um, uh, Urokai would have been truly like clearly last man, sure, but it was it was really tight. I don't know about it. And the thing though is about that, of course, it made it harder for Dortmund for the longest time because, I mean, it was the ultimate bus parking job uh, that Augsburg did then, and there just weren't spaces there. Tezic said as much after the match that it made it really hard. I mean, it was a more open match for Dortmund prior to the red card because Augsburg, unlike in previous years, don't just hoof it long all the time. You know, they try to play out of the back. They try to play football. Um, that being said, completely deserved and, and dominant victory. When I looked at the numbers afterwards, I was actually surprised. I didn't realize it was quite that dominant. Um, Kube had to make a single save, whereas Kubek had to make seven and then conceded three. And Kubek, I thought, actually played well. Unlike the first time I remember seeing Kubek against Dortmund, where he, where he looked very not good. Um, and, you know, seeing a team with uh, Jeffrey Govalo, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Howalew. Um, I'm always happy to see him lose because he is such a wind-up merchant shithouse prick. Um, <laughs> Explicit <that>, tag, hello. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I could have said worse. Um <laughs> A sol rock solid defender, but he's just such an asshole. <laughs> and so uh, I'm I'm always happy to see him lose. And like I've said before, I wouldn't miss Augsburg if they somehow now did manage to get relegated. Um, and of course, the emotions were pretty high uh, with Alea uh, scoring really the match winner to open it up. And then it really opened up. Yes, there were about 15 minutes that didn't look good. Let's be honest. Uh, but then Alea helped uh, shut all of that down. So no, it was it was really really good uh, for I would say seventy five minutes. It was uh, perfect Dortmund. Yeah, I must say I was encouraged by uh, seeing Rafael Guerrero on the lineup sheet. I thought that for a game to break it down, the team like Augsburg. He would be the right guy. And I want to say that uh, even though Dortmund didn't really score in the beginning and there were a few moments where Guerrero looked a bit comical. I, I remember one situation where he tried to... Uh, um, where, where he had a really decent run, but then uh, instead of just passing it, crossing it into the box with his right foot, he sort of tried to uh, 
have his first touch with his left foot and uh, fell over. <laughs> um, but I want to say in the first 20 minutes or so, um, I've not looked at his statistics, but I felt like he probably racked up like four to five key passes. Um, he at least had a lot of line cutting passes and um, that to me was very promising. I thought that overall Dortmund had very good ball circulation, uh, very good switches of play to to keep Augsburg running and even more so um, once the, they sort of settled into the game uh, after, you know, those nervy minutes you just mentioned last. But uh, I got to say the, the most encouraging thing is that Dortmund in my but never really lost their heads in that game. Obviously, uh, other opponents are capable of playing football and are playing well, and we have natural disadvantages like the lack of pace with Mats Hummels at the back. So it can always happen that uh, if you ping a ball over the top from, uh, I think, the halfway line, it was sort of uh, uh, right next to out of bounds, um, just a simple ball over the top, um, that it can lead to a chance. It's just how, how Dortmund are composed let's say um but other than that uh, to shut Augsburg down the way they did um I mean Augsburg had a few corner kicks and a couple of free kicks and whatnot but uh I thought Dortmund dealt with them very well uh, Mats Hummels uh, <laughs> put everything on the line at the very end when uh, he took the, the, the shot to the face which uh, yeah led to the substitution of course but um yeah overall it is funny to see how many chances Dortmund did create and it's also funny how different they are in, in taking advantage of them on the road versus at home because I feel like if it weren't the Westfalenstadion Julian Brandt does not <laughs> take a weird shot that the keeper can save I'm pretty sure he then has a wherewithal somehow to round the keeper maybe maybe I'm I'm speculating a little bit too much here um, but there were certainly a lot of good chances to um, decide the game much sooner. But as you said, Lars, I think it just needs to be highlighted. Um, Eden Tessic said after the game that having Sebastian Alea is a miracle and that he buys the team seconds and improving everyone around him. But when he took that miscontrol of Bauer, the center back that replaced Udukai, um, and then slotted it home, I thought that was just a really incredible moment of brilliance because I don't think many strikers can slot it home like this uh, right between the keeper and just to hit the inside post. It was really a pinpoint finish and uh, once he controlled the ball the way he controlled it, it was uh, impossible to defend in my opinion. And uh, yeah, that moment of class um, made the difference for Dortmund in that moment and uh, makes me really happy for Sebastian Alia and the way that he is playing currently is is awesome and you can also see that you know there is of course still a lot of room for improvement but nevertheless uh for him to be the guy almost a year after he you know had this horrible diagnosis is it's an amazing story in itself and if Dortmund win it or not this story will <laughs> always remain but obviously crowning it with a championship uh would be even better <laughs> uh <laughs> To state the absolute obvious, but it's also nice to see this team with the fullbacks of Marius Wolf and Andreasson uh, to to be this dominant because I thought that both had quite uh, key parts to play in this game uh, to keep Augsburg chasing and to not cough up possession a lot. And I think Dortmund did that really well. Um, 
it's nice to see a team now with structure and you know having several game plans and executing different ones throughout the game and uh, adapting to the situation and i think in that regard the uh <laughs> The drop points in Stuttgart certainly helped Dortmund this time around because I think they learned very much so from that situation and had a much better plan in keeping the ball away from Augsburg for really large, large stints and you could see that Augsburg were tired. And we must not forget that Augsburg are relegation-threatened since uh, Mainz got pounced 4-1 by Stuttgart uh, in their own stadium never, nonetheless. So to me, that was uh, a really grown-up, really mature performance. And uh, you know how jittery it can get uh, when you are playing for the championship. All the pressure, even if it's positive pressure, you feel players tighten up and things go awry very quickly. But uh, Dortmund kept their focus for the most part. And I think, um, Lars, you said on Twitter that it was championship-winning like Meisterlich or something like that, right? And uh, I, I would agree that uh, Dortmund just, yeah, look, looked like a team that <laughs> knows what they were doing, which is something that we couldn't say a lot this season. And uh, yeah, to me, that is uh, very, very nice. Now, Matthias, obviously, there are a lot of uh, things about this game uh, that we still can talk about. But uh, I think most importantly we can talk about the self-belief this team exudes. I think Nico Schlotterbeck, when he went into the uh, catacombs after the game, says, now we're going to do it. Now we're going to you know, become the champions or something along those lines. Um, do you think that uh, the team, obviously they still have to prove it on Saturday, but uh, you know, <laughs> looking at what's there to look at, do you think this team um, absolutely has the uh, fortitude to get the job done on Saturday? Well, yeah, uh, this was kind of the the match of the ones remaining that I was initially most nervous about simply because it's away from home. And we know Dalton have not been great this season away from home as far as the results go. And it was Augsburg, a team that has just been problematic for Dortmund away from home for a while. And to see that they didn't just not give up. They continued with their focus. They continued getting shots on target. That was one of the the issues previously was, uh, if we look at um, the Bochum match and so on, they were getting plenty of shots and chances, but they weren't forcing a ton of saves from Riemann. He made a few crucial ones, but Kubek was put under way more pressure in this match. And I think um, that focused their attention... Yeah, there was that dip after Alea's first goal where Augsburg started to threaten, but it's but it it wasn't it wasn't too extreme. I mean, Kobel had to make one save. Um one very good save, but yeah, just but a one very save. good save. But it but it's still, you know, I mean, that's why you have him. Uh even peak ultra powerful Bayern under Guardiola or Hansi Flick or whatever, Neuer still had to also make those types of saves in these types of matches because you're playing a higher risk system against a team that is just going to hit long balls and rush at you and, and then that can happen. So I'm not discounting that, but it's still something to keep an eye on. 
But that really kind of focused them again, because obviously the narrative that was being spun was hearkening back to the Stuttgart match. Um, it's kind of like the first half of the season, nobody could get through a Dortmund match without somebody bringing up Bremen. <laughs> um, and now it was Stuttgart. But that's that's been banished now. That's gone. That's over. And I don't think anybody doubts Dortmund's prowess at home, especially this season, especially this second half of the season. And so, you know, Mainz... Uh, you know, I expected more from Mainz against Stuttgart. They looked okay, and then they fell apart, and Stuttgart really blew them away. And that was in Mainz, I believe, even. And so their season has spun out. Mainz's season is like, whoop, that's gone. And so I don't think they're going to come into this as focused as they would have been with a victory. And Dortmund are ultra-focused. And they show that in the previous home matches where they blew away teams. You look at Wolfsburg where we thought, oh, who knows how this could go? Well, they completely destroyed them. They destroyed Gladbach. And so I think that theme will continue going here. They did it to Union Berlin as well. So I have zero doubts. I have no doubts. This was the doubt match, really, <laughs> uh, on paper with history behind it. And... I, uh, you know, like I said, when Alea scored that goal, I almost, you know, destroyed my vocal cords in that moment. That's when I realized just how tense I was, because obviously the later it was getting, the later it was getting, the more the commentators would mention how much later it's getting. And you just build up that tension because it's like, gosh, not Augsburg, not this one, not not here. Please, you know, we got to get that goal. And, and then when Alea scored a great goal, uh, a difficult goal. That's when you knew it was just it was just going to happen. I mean, I I knew I felt confident that we were going to win, but as the game was progressing, obviously the tension just keeps building. Well, I hope I don't put the biggest hex on us now. But I did tell you beforehand, Matthias, when I read so many Twitter comments of "Oh, how are Dortmund going to blow it this time?" Is that no, no, no? I don't think Dortmund are going to blow it. To, to the opposite, I think winning is actually still in our DNA. You know, I have seen several titles being won. I've been, when Dortmund won it against Nürnberg, I've been in the stadium. I know how it feels. And, and this winning culture permeates the club, if you will. There are other clubs or franchises, maybe even in Philadelphia, who knows, that don't have that certain uh, winning culture whatever you want to call it, the, 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 the special juju, but I think Dortmund has it. We're not a loser team. We're not a loser club like Schalke, who are about to get relegated. So along from that standpoint, I was relatively positive, but obviously, <laughs> I mean, if we're honest, Dortmund already could have wrapped it up uh, had they not dropped points in Bochum, Stuttgart, etc., etc. But nevertheless, I thought once uh, Bayern... Uh, lost or had they drawn, doesn't matter. I, I do think they will uh, absolutely uh, win against Mainz on Saturday, 100%. <laughs> um, but Lars, uh, I don't want to divorce from the Augsburg game just yet because, uh, first of all, I need to say that uh, I had a little Rosicki moment against Hamburg when uh, Alias got the second goal because I certainly celebrated before the ball was in the net. 
um, even though we all know that uh, sometimes having the open net is, is the hardest one to score. And of course, also should not go unmentioned that Julian Brandt uh, put his name on the score sheet very late uh, in, in stoppage time, where also, once again, Dortmund played very well to just kill the clock and then score on top of that. So nicely done. Also Schlotterbeck, shout out for that uh, ball-winning moment. But Lars, what I wanted to ask you about or, or talk with you about is the um, the Emre Can moment. When he was uh, shoved around, I forgot by what player it was. I don't know if he was on the yellow already or not, but Emre Can to just walk away smiling and not headbutt with the player that is provoking him to me, is really one of the moments that shows his growth as a player. Uh, how did you observe that situation? And uh, is it something that uh, we should take note of? First of all, he was booked already, which I think informs what happened. Because obviously, uh, even a sometimes hot-headed player like John knows it's best not to get suspended for the final match day of the season when you can clinch the championship. Um, he was provoked by, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Demirovic. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily expect him to, you know, go full on, uh, like when he, uh, had a clinch with, uh, Neymar in the Champions League a couple of years back. Um, I think we are beyond that point with Jan. Uh, I, I kind of jokingly, uh, called it character growth on Twitter and uh, got more than a thousand likes. I think a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> took that a bit more serious than I intended it to be. Um, I mean, I think we don't have to go too far in praising a player for not getting sent off uh, in, in that situation. But obviously we, we know that John, as I said, hot-headed at times, perhaps there's a there's an alternate universe or a time uh, in his Dortmund career when he would have been sent off in that situation. Especially so, after getting repeatedly shoved. It wasn't just one moment, it was like two or three. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying we, we <laughs> don't need to praise him too much. Obviously, he deserves a, a level of praise for keeping calm. And definitely the, the big smile on his face was quite funny uh, just because, you know, he's, he has a different side to him as well. I mean, he's sort of aggressive leader, as Ottmar Hitzfeld would probably call it. And by the way, I think if Dortmund clinched the championship on Saturday, there's a decent case to be made that Jan is one of the major reasons why, uh, just because of his resurgence in the second half of the season. Um, but yeah, a, a funny, funny moment, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, make too much out of it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's move on then. Uh, the match on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. kickoff local time at the Westfalenstadion. Um, when it comes to the injury news, um, obviously Jude Bellingham is hopeful to be fit in time. Sebastian Kiel said today that he will be in the matchday squad in some capacity, but, you know, didn't promise that he would be in, you know, healthy enough to start. So I'm not quite sure. Um, other than that, I've not heard of any problems from the last game. I think that Mats Hummels uh, will have recovered and we, of course, still have to talk about his contract extension. Um, Matthias, considering the situation out of this right now, do you believe that Tessic will uh, copy and paste from the Augsburg game when it comes to his team sheet? I mean, that depends on Bellingham. Um, if Bellingham is 
ready to go. I expect him in midfield again, Guerrero at left back and Rios on at right back. That is really the only change I would foresee, depending on a home and state, even though comments are that or reports are that nah, he's fine. I mean, he got kicked in the face. You know, fine is always relative in a situation like that. Um, but we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that. Ha, no, no pun intended. <laughs> um, if Bellingham isn't fit to go, yeah, you just rinse and repeat. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make major changes. The only change, like I said, is Bellingham in, and then that Guerrero Rios on shuffle, and then Wolf is on the bench. Uh, that's that's your strongest team right now, and you may as well go in with your strongest team and then adjust if you need to. Lars, any counterpoints? Um, just that it's very unlikely, given what we have heard today from Sebastian Kehl and, and media reports that Bellingham is available for actual selection. I think Kehl uh, basically promised that he'd be in the matchday squad just because he deserves it, which I think I would not necessarily be the greatest fan of, but then again, uh, with 20 men matchday squads, probably doesn't really matter. Um, so it seems unlikely that Bellingham will be able to go for more than maybe uh, a short uh, substitute appearance. So from that perspective, and agreeing also with what Matthias said, basically the, the 11 has found itself, or rather it's kind of a 12 because you don't know what's going on with the fullback situation, depending on Bellingham's availability. I think the team kind of selects itself at this point of the season. Uh, there's really no reason why anything would change. I think uh, I, there's there's probably a number of fans who would say uh, Marco Reus needs to start because it's uh, his big moment and whatever, but uh, I think what the last few months have shown is um, that you know uh, Dortmund are not giving out uh, gifts to players or whatever. They are just uh, a, a well-oiled well machine almost at, at this point of the season and There's no need to tinker with that too much. So I think it's going to be the, the same 11 uh, unless there's a surprise with Bellingham and then, you know, subs, subs going from there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, one big positive, at least in my book, uh, even though I have not watched every Mainz game, but uh, one of the key players I want to say is uh, Ludovico Jok. Uh, he, I think, was a winter signing. Uh, he came on against Dortmund when Dortmund won in Mainz and uh, he caused us a lot of trouble in those 20-ish minutes or however long he played and uh, I want to say that overall he played pretty well. I'm not quite sure um, how, if, if he scored against Bayern but I do remember when uh, Mainz beat Bayern that he also uh, played a role in that maybe with flick-on headers and so on. Um, You know, maybe even a player that I could see as a modest replacement if it's feasible. I have no idea, to be honest. But uh, I think he he would be a pretty good uh, addition to Dortmund squad systematically. Um, but the point I'm making is I think he is suspended because in the final minutes against Stuttgart, he actually picked up a yellow card. And it was sort of uh, <laughs> fist pumping when I learned that because uh, to me that uh, might make a, a big difference. Um, about how lethal mines are going into this. Now, obviously, um, mines for long stretches were the second best team of the second half of the season. 
um, especially after the Bayern win. But then, of course, as we all know, um, they had a, a four-game losing streak uh, starting in, in Wolfsburg. Then they lost 3-2 to Schalke, and a 3 nothing loss to Frankfurt, and they just got uh, shellacked by Stuttgart. And they really have nothing left to play for. So, Lars, obviously, these games may never be as straightforward as we all Hope they are. Uh, I mean, Ilka Gunuan had to come on for Manchester City uh, a season or so ago uh, to to clinch a title on the final match day or whenever it was. Uh, was it against Wolverhampton? Can't even remember these things. But uh, more importantly, um, what can we expect of this Mainz team? What, if anything, still could make them dangerous to Dortmund's championship ambitions? I think... The, the first thing, uh, thing we have to mention is the Bayern curse, uh, which incidentally might keep Schalke up um, because all the teams who beat Bayern in the next few games usually lose uh, over the last few years in the Bundesliga. Uh, and now, as you said, Mainz losing four on the spin after beating Bayern, uh, Leipzig beating Bayern and now playing Schalke on Saturday. So, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> I mean, Schalke I might still get that. Schalke can still get relegated if they win, so there's a silver lining in everything. <laughs> um, as for Mainz, they have very little to play for, and sometimes that's uh, all a team needs to uh, pull one out of the hat. Uh, well, Kiel said that they have nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's literally nothing uh, particularly negative that can happen for Mainz. I think their league uh, position is relatively secure. I don't have the entire mid-table in front of me, but uh, they they won't uh, lose, you know, more than a couple of positions, I suppose, uh, which is important only in terms of TV money. Mines don't have a chance anymore to uh, qualify for European football, uh, and and that can make a team like that dangerous because uh, I mean a team that beats Bayern obviously has a level of quality to it that uh, if underestimated and uh, not taken seriously and whatever uh, can uh, endanger Dortmund. Um, I think obviously the the circumstances are the more difficult uh, opponent, if you like, for Dortmund on Saturday. I think it doesn't outside of you know the the Bayerns, Leipzig's, and whatever the, the the absolute best teams in the league. I think it doesn't even really matter who's uh, the opponent on the final match day of the season when you can clinch the title. I think it's more about the circumstances. The weight of the occasion might be something that. Uh, we see more of in on the final match day of the season uh, than in Augsburg because in, in Augsburg there might be a little voice inside your head that always goes well if this doesn't go well we can still hope Bayern drop points on the final match day of the season which by the way uh, I wouldn't be surprised at at all uh, because Cologne same position basically as Mainz but they've actually been really good in the last few weeks and, and have shown even after clinching uh, Bundesliga survival as it were uh, that they are quite dangerous, so I wouldn't be surprised if if Dortmund don't even need to win uh, against Mainz, which would kind of be a, a a funny way to end the season if both teams were to drop points at the <laughs> on the final match day, because uh, there were times during the season when uh, Bayern dropped so many points to allow Dortmund back into it that uh, people were talking about what we call in Germany sometimes a Schneckenrennen, which is a snail's race. Um, because uh, I think Dortmund could win the title with, what, 40, uh, 74 points or whatever. How many do they have now? 70, 73? I don't know. Uh, so they have 70 right now, so yeah. 73 max. 
yeah, and, and 70 could be enough. And if you look at the last few years, I mean, a lot of the times uh, Bayern had 70 points by mid-March or whatever. So th it, it, that would be a funny scenario. But in all honesty, I think it's not about anything Mainz do. It's all about how Dortmund cope with the situation. And I reserve the right to have a little bit of pessimism in my life. So when you both <laughs> said... 100% convinced <laughs> of a title earlier. I'm not going beyond 85, I think. All right. Fair enough, Lars. I think some realism is, uh, you know, it's it's football. It's a low-scoring game. A lot of nonsense can happen. We obviously do have to account for that. I was more talking about how I feel about it rather than uh, what I actually do think. But uh, nevertheless, it is, it just... You know, I'm I'm looking at the second half of the season table right now. Die Rückrundentabelle in German. And man, Dortmund's second half of the season actually outscores Bayern's uh, first half of the season with uh, one game to go because in the first half of the season, Bayern uh, had 51 goals. They conceded 15. They had a, a goal difference of plus 36. And they have also scored 36 points in that time frame. And Dortmund uh, now already with one match day to go sit on 39. Um, obviously, in the in the first half of the season, Dortmund only had, in quotation marks, 31 points, um, which just really goes to show uh, what a turnaround it was for Dortmund in the in the second half of the season. And uh, I think uh, Dortmund score, I think like what two and a half points or so on average, almost with Sebastian Aller on the pitch versus. Uh, not even to without him on the pitch. So obviously he is a ginormous difference maker. But, um, you know, I've read a lot of tweets, opinions, whatnot, of how undeserved this championship is. And yeah, obviously it would be the lowest uh, point scoring championship since like 2009 or 10 or something like that. Um, but that all being said, Dortmund have scored 50 goals now in the in the second half of the season they have been absolutely flying and uh, obviously they have been getting results but if we watch the games against Gladbach or Wolfsburg or now even Augsburg I just want to say this team is really fun to watch <laughs> regardless of whether they win a championship or not it's just fun to watch and it's, it's nice to see now with Alea in the form that he is in um, what sort of the plan was for this team uh, when they so drew it up on, on the drawing board. Um, because I don't know about you, but Matthias, but I now clearly understand the vision and the, you know, killing opponents with the speedy wingers and having uh, Julian Brandt uh, add uh, to the whole uh, creativity, be it in the center or when he's, you know, rotates over to the left or right. Um, I don't know. To me, it feels like a very well-balanced team right now, and especially offensively. Um, I think Tessic has managed to uh, create a team that just uh, steamrolls opponents on, on the regular now, which is uh, wasn't always the case, especially in the first half of the season. Uh, people were asking how Dortmund would ever score a goal, and now it looks just so entirely different. So maybe talk a little bit about that development over the course of the season. Well, you know, I was one of those who hated the break or the, the Qatar World Cup that it was set in November. 
And in retrospect, that's the best thing that could have ever happened to Dortmund. Uh, because if Dortmund would have still had to play another month before uh, winter, the traditional winter break, I think we would be talking about Bayern as Bundesliga champions already. Because that was really Dortmund at its lowest low. There was Sebastian Alea was not playing yet. That long winter break really helped um, the team both players but also staff kind of sit back and reevaluate things and have Sebastian Alea come into the side and that was really the catalyst it also helped players like Mahan and Adiyemi and so on kind of just learn more about what they need to do and Tezic and his team learn more about what they need to do I think we can't underestimate the importance of that very long break for Dortmund and conversely, I think uh, it was probably not conducive to Bayern's season at that point because they were on a pretty good roll. But that being put to side, I you know I've seen the same comments as far as you know uh, Dortmund are only champions because Bayern had such a bad first half of season. Well, these are the kind of people I would say. Well, it's only still a title race on the last match day because Dortmund had a bad first half of the season. You've alluded to this a few times. If Dortmund would have just been marginally better in the first half of the season, Dortmund probably would have wrapped up the Bundesliga title last weekend or the weekend before that if they wouldn't have done the dropping points against Schalke, Bochum, and um, Stuttgart. They would have wrapped it up, yeah, two or three weeks ago at that rate. So... All of those comments, and I've even seen people who call themselves Dortmund fans saying things like that. Um, it's just ridiculous uh, because it's not, nothing happens in a vacuum in the sport. Yes, Bayern needed to drop points. We can't forget Dortmund were sitting, what, seventh um, pre World Cup break? They needed a huge run, and everybody ahead of them had to start slumping for this to happen. Well, I didn't think Tezic would find lightning in a bottle twice. Because we can't forget, he's done this before at Dortmund. When he took over for Favre in a completely abject, uh, demoralized Dortmund side. I remember all his, you know, Dortmund mentality, Dortmund mentality, Dortmund mentality uh, stuff. And it took a while for him to find his feet and the team to find his feet, turned it around, had a huge run, qualified for the Champions League, and won the DFB Pokal. So it's not like this hasn't happened before under Eden Tezic. It has. Um, so I think it's completely deserved. And I think they. it, it would be good if they find this for maybe a little sooner next time. Um, but uh, that being said, Alea, his, he is so incredibly important to this offensive output. Um, it, it can't be... It's not just a miracle. It's obviously incredibly important. And so uh, I'm happy for both the player and the team and for Tezic as well. Yeah, last we have a question on that sort of subject from Derek Dickens, who asks, uh, what do you guys think was the most important factor in the turnaround after the World Cup break? I mean, it's kind of in the question. I agree with Matthias. It was the uh, break in itself. Uh, because when you... Remember back the two games immediately ahead of the, the World Cup break were uh, defeats and quite bad ones uh, against uh, Wolfsburg and Gladbach. Um, 
even just two or three more games before a normal winter break, I think would have put Dortmund entirely out of reach uh, of, of where they are now. So the entire complexion of the season changes because uh, quite possibly Bayern don't change managers uh, if the Bundesliga looks locked up by uh, whenever Nagelsmann was uh, sacked and uh, Tuchel has a worse record at Bayern than Nagelsmann, not necessarily making a comment about quality of either manager, but just saying facts. Um, but if we go beyond that uh, in itself, uh, I think you can't really look past the winter signings or quasi signings. So uh, Riazon injecting uh, mentality, if we are allowed to use the word, because I don't think you would necessarily say Riazon injected a lot of quality per se into the team, but he's definitely been a net positive with his attitude, his way of playing. Uh, and then you had the, the quasi signing of Sebastian Allaire because he obviously wasn't available, uh, before January. And he's changed the entire complexion of attacking play for Lorbund, uh, gradually, I would say. I think the first few matches, uh, there was definitely a grace period because he came back from literal cancer because he definitely wasn't playing particularly well as, you know, how, how, how could he have? Uh, so obviously he's gotten a lot better and I think there's there's a point to be made that the the summer break comes at a bad time for him almost because on the one hand he can definitely use uh, some time in the the training room and lifting weights and whatever but I think from a, a playing perspective he's got back to some level of strength he's obviously on a good scoring run so I think if the season went on for another month or so I think uh, Alea would definitely end up with you know 15 16 goals which is a very respectable return. Uh, even without uh, missing half a year fighting for your life, basically. So uh, that's another factor. I think I mentioned earlier, Andrew John feels almost like a new signing for the, the winter window, obviously. Was C certainly not the player anymore that I wanted nothing to do with. <laughs> that's yeah, for sure. I, I mean, he's he's been here for a while now, uh, but outside of the first few months uh, under Favre, when he first signed from Juventus, uh, we haven't seen this version of Emil John ever at Dortmund and I think uh, as I said before you could, could easily convince me that he's actually Dortmund's player of the season um, if if Karim Adeyemi can win rookie of the year in the Bundesliga after half a year uh, <laughs> why shouldn't Emil John win player of the season for Dortmund um, and also uh, kind of adjacent to Alea's uh, insertion into the starting lineup I think uh, a very easy sort of tactical switch, uh, which I think a lot of us were clamoring for, but for whatever reason they didn't do it, was just switching sides with both wingers. I think uh, I can uh, somewhat remember episodes we did in, in autumn or maybe ahead of the, the World Cup break or whatever, that nobody understood why Adeyemi was being played on the right when he's clearly more comfortable on the left and why Marlon was playing on the left when he's basically... Uh, good either way but uh yeah Derek to answer your question the biggest impact was the yellow wall part and Ian Tessic finally listening to us that really yeah, is uh, what won it I mean as it should be Stefan yeah um, of course I but think there's there's actually one more question here that sort of goes into this uh, Doris is asking how big was the impact of uh, the assistant coach uh, Amin Rotashan nobody talks about his role but you hardly see him and uh, does he stay 
obviously another good question, but maybe uh, about its impact now. Obviously, it's very hard to gauge what his real impact is. But uh, I want to say this because we obviously talk a lot about Alea and his turnaround. But I feel like, especially in the, in the first weeks after the World Cup break, we were also carried a lot by our set piece threat that was newly found, and that credit uh, mostly goes to Armin Reuters Hahn because uh, he was sort of the set piece minister, if you want. Uh, and especially in the beginning of, of uh, that period, uh, that's probably the most palpable thing that we can point to. Maybe the switch of wingers um, is also was also his idea. Obviously, I have no idea, but uh, it, it certainly has to be measurable somewhere, somehow, Lars. If it is, it isn't for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I honestly have no idea about the, uh, of the... the the work split. I, I just want to say that uh, Peter Hermann, who uh, had to leave the club for medical reasons in the winter, is a an absolutely legendary assistant coach. Uh, so I very much doubt that uh, him leaving left uh, a net positive in any way. I think with these assistant coaches, it's more about uh, what they're actually allowed to do, how much uh, of a say they have, and not necessarily you know the quality of coaching because uh, they are all... I, I would uh, put money on a lot of these assistant coaches being actually better tacticians than their head coaches, but you know, not necessarily having the personality uh, or the the want to even to uh, you know stay in the spotlight all the time and be under pressure all the time. So, quite possibly, Reutersan is a, a hidden uh, reason for the would-be championship, but I think it's basically impossible for us to say. Yeah, so Matthias, there's uh, another question. Uh, Lukas Scholler wants to know, how does your current excitement slash nervousness compare to the last time before B was in a position to win the league? Um, I don't know if we if we talk about the Favre run or the last time Dortmund sort of actually clinched it. Um, I don't know. Uh, do you, I'll, I'll let you choose how you want to answer. Yeah, I mean, the Favre run was kind of odd because Dortmund were so far ahead at one point. I mean, basically, it's the reverse roles right now. As Niklas Zule is quick to point um, out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it just it just fell flat. I mean, there wasn't I wasn't like, oh, my God, Dortmund can win the title. It's, you know, I'm a lifelong scarred Boston Red Sox fan. And uh, as such, I always said, until the Yankees get knocked out of the playoffs, the Yankees can win the World Series. And that's kind of how I have always felt about Bayern. So that one kind of falls away. The double season under Klopp, um, I don't know. I just, that whole season, I just felt a lot of confidence. I wasn't really, it was different. Um, the first Klopp title win was huge. Uh, given the backstory of the, you know, what happened in 2005. And it was such a young group and it was very unexpected at the beginning of the season. Nobody, nobody saw that one coming at all. And then to do it and just the celebrations, I think we all remember, you know, Nevin Subotic shirtless jumping on top of a car scene. Um, and then... Uh, you know, the only other one that I can really compare that to as far as Bundesliga title comes is the first one under Hitzfeld as a teenager, uh, because I had never experienced Dortmund winning a Bundesliga title. You know, the, the last people who experienced Dortmund winning a title 
in that sense, aside from the one Dave Bepokai and my family, you know, or like my, my dad or my grandfather back in the 60s and 50s. So this, this comes really, really close uh, to those two simply because, you know, it's been 10 years of Bayon dominance, uh, aside from one little blip there under Favre, but even then they seemed so comfortable. And But then you combine it with all these other things that come in there. The, obviously, Tezic plays into that. He's local. You don't really get that that often anymore. And that means something. Um, Sebastian Alea, that means something. Um, honestly, it plays into the fact that, you know, they could win the Bundesliga title the year after letting Erling Holland having him leaving. Uh, where everyone was like, now what? Well, you know, Sebastian Alea, if he would have been, like La said, not fighting for his life for half of the season, you know, I think Dortmund could have done this much, much sooner. So it's it's close to the first club and first Hitzvet title, um, but not quite because those were special in their own right. But uh, still, it's pretty high because, you know, for my kids, this is more or less their first Bundesliga title that they get to watch um, and remember. I mean, my son was alive for the two (laughs) club ones, but he was, you know, an infant uh, and a toddler, so he has no memories of it. So this is, uh, it it does rank special because I get to share it with my kids for the first time. So it's, yeah, it's... It's not in the bag yet. (laughs) No, but we get to experience this together. You know, they haven't experienced adult one title run. Yeah. And so that that definitely adds something special to it. Lars, um, I don't know if you know this from the top of your head. I certainly haven't looked it up, but I'm just curious. Do you know, since you just wrote a book called Unnitzes Wissen über Borussia Dortmund, <laughs> do you know if Dortmund have clinched a title um, one of the last eight or so uh, on the final match day, or has have those always been decided uh, beforehand? Because I just don't know if there was one, which one it would be. I mean, you definitely know, Stefan. You've just forgotten because two thousand and two. Ah, yeah, Everton. Yes. I don't. I don't even have to say more, right? Ah. I mean, uh, that title. I think ninety five uh, was also clinched on the final match day. That's one of my earliest uh, experiences of, or, or memories, rather, of, of uh, actually watching Dortmund. Because back in in those days, not a lot of people had the uh, the pay TV channels. You need to watch Bundesliga football. Live. What was it called? Premiere. Premiere, yeah. Uh, so there, there was a family friend or, or friends of my parents uh, who invited us for both the '94 and the '95 title clinching games. But '94, I was too young. I was four years old. '95, <laughs> so I much older. Remember. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's the kind of time where where you start forming uh, more lasting, yeah. more lasting memories, I suppose. But uh, the obvious comparison, I think, is to to uh, 2002 also because uh, back then it kind of looked like Leverkusen had it basically in the back and then they fumbled the back which is the Leverkusen way of doing things uh, on the final few match days and Dortmund came from behind actually in, I think in 2002 there was a three-way uh, race on the final match day and if memory serves uh, Bayern actually scored first uh, against I want to say Rostock uh, I think it was an own goal uh, by a Rostock player, and that 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 meant at the time, I think anyway, that Bayern were ahead for a couple of minutes, and then uh, obviously came down to Dortmund versus Leverkusen in a uh, fern duel, as we say in German, uh, and 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 obviously the 
the title clinching goal by Everton, the entire sequence, I think, plays out in a lot of uh, fans' imaginations. I think that's the obvious comparison because actually uh, the the club championships, the first one was so surprisingly dominant. I think uh, they, they clinched very early on. Uh, and and even the the uh, double winning season was also uh, not super stressful at the end of the year. I think it was more about the cup final against Bayern back in in twenty twelve. And and that's also kind of a comparison I would make now. Um, actually, the the circumstances it feels to me like a, a somewhat similar to a cup final or a Champions League final or whatever because that's ten years ago on the day or might have been yesterday. Um, just because you know when and you're it, you don't have to worry about the other team. That is somewhat similar, I would say, to a cup final situation. So that's more the, the comparison that I would make. Well, minus that the direct opponent doesn't play you, so you don't you actually don't have to worry about them this time. Yeah, when Dortmund clinched it the second time on the club, the the 2-0 win against Gladbach, um, that felt also very much like a foregone conclusion. I don't even remember what match day it, it was we clinched it. Might have been with two or three, maybe even four rounds to spare. I don't know. It was ridiculously early. Obviously, back then there was pre-Pep Guardiola, so it was actually a record-breaking points tally with 81 points in the end. Um, that At that point, yeah, was a Bundesliga record, as I just said. Um, obviously, since eclipsed by Bayern Munich, but uh, I, I think even the very next year. Um, but still, for for that team, it was absolutely. It felt like a foregone conclusion. It felt like destiny. There were very few question marks ar around it. And especially, I remember, um, you know, when Shinji Kagawa scored, and obviously, Jurgen uh, <laughs> uh, Klopp having that run on the sideline, slipping, and then being caught by Kagawa. While I think once again having a hamstring tearing celebration, as he so often did. Um, yeah, that that game felt. Very much not nervous, but uh, obviously, like I said in the beginning, I was in the stadium when Dortmund won it against Nuremberg, which I think was also the penultimate match day or, or, or one or two even to spare um, when they cl clinched it, where it was, of course, Cologne uh, who had Dortmund by beating Leverkusen in Cologne. And of course, 1-0 in Köln and 2-0 in Köln, these, you know, just earth-shattering shouts by Nobby Dicker live in, in every Dortmund fan's hearts and minds. Um, but um, to talk about that game real quick, and that day, that was probably the most nervous energy I've felt because that team, as you just said, Lars, was a very young team. They did not have any title clinching experience, really. Uh, it's a little bit different now because we, of course, do have more experienced players with Hummels and so on on the team that have have done it uh, before Niklas Zulu obviously as well and um, Emre Can I think has won domestic titles and so on and so forth uh, I think Sebastian Allaire has won it with Ajax if I'm not mistaken um, but more importantly um, the, the nervous energy in that game in 2011 I mean it was against Nuremberg Nuremberg had also I don't know, they didn't really put much up of a fight, but they sort of did park the bus and uh, Dortmund were just very tight, very tense and uh, it took forever uh, until we scored and, uh, you know, once it was 2-0, uh, 
and we knew the game, uh, the results in Cologne. It was just, you know, just playing the ball around, passing it around. There wasn't really much of a flow to the game anymore. And it felt like the football itself didn't matter. It was just about bringing the clock down. So, yeah, I, I, I love to remember that game because it was so serene and uh, so surreal. And <laughs> it was it was not serene. Um, and uh, we do have a, a question here. Uh, Damn, I can't find it. Uh, ah, there, there it is. It's from Maxinho on, on Twitter. And he asks, will this be the best atmosphere in the Westfalenstadion uh, that has been since club? Um, Matthias, do you think that will be the case? Because I do remember that game in 2011 and I've been to the Westfalenstadion a lot of times, especially professionally. I don't recall it ever being that loud on that day. Um, so my honest question would be probably uh, answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say for sure, obviously. Um, but yeah, because it's the most meaningful uh, home match since uh, Jurgen Klopp left, for sure. I mean, in in ten years, there hasn't been a more meaningful home match than this one. You know, it's not like Dortmund could have won a DFB Pokal at home or a Champions League at home, but they can win the Bundesliga at home. So yeah, it's the most meaningful one since then. And and I would expect it's going to be the most loud and passionate and raucous one since then as well. Yeah. Yeah. Lars, do you expect a, a Platzsturm if Dortmund clinch it after the game where people flood the, the field uh, pretty much with the full-time whistle? I think uh, authorities will be on the lookout for that stuff. Um, I think they've basically announced that it's not going to be allowed, but obviously in terms of, uh, or in the interest of safety, uh, if if the floodgates uh, are stormed, if you like, uh, <laughs> they will be opened. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily be shocked, but uh, I, I don't really know. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure I will uh, even uh, take anything in uh, if uh, they clinch the the, the title um, from you know the moment the the game is uh, whistled off to sometime on Sunday and I, I the only thing I know about my weekend plans is it's I'm going to be drunk as hell either way. <laughs> yeah, someone has been asking how much we were uh, drinking and if we had any advice for traveling fans. Um, Oh yeah, one last point I actually wanted to make of what you just said, Matthias, is obviously this is a special championship for so many of our listeners because, as you said, it's it's the first championship for a lot of international Dortmund fans who fell in love with this club uh, post the Champions League uh, final run, uh, some even much later in 2015, 16, etc. So, uh, whole new territory for a lot of people listening, something we obviously should acknowledge. <laughs> it's nice that we in our lives have... Uh, witness it so often um, but uh, not everybody has so uh, and of course uh, if you have offspring uh, to celebrate it with uh, them you know shout out to Aaron uh, uh, Adam Dorowski sorry <laughs> uh, who of course uh, said that he is uh, very happy to enjoy it with his kids uh, for the first time and uh, yeah these are very nice stories I am looking forward to hearing more about um but uh, yeah, if if I can give you some personal advice, um, if you were in Dortmund, uh, first of all, um, there is a bit of a, I don't know, 
I don't want to call it scandal, but uh, something that, of course, is a bit disappointing that there's nothing that we Germans call public viewing. Uh, you know, the, the Friedensplatz usually um, in, in the city center is uh, where there would be a big video screen where there'd be a, a, yeah, a, a gathering to, to watch the game. But uh, the rights holder Sky have said that they're not going to allow that to happen because uh, they uh, want to ensure that the... Uh, Pub owners basically get their dollars, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, is a little bit annoying and I don't really think uh, uh, is sensible. I I absolutely would have a public viewing uh, at the Friedensplatz or Hansaplatz or wherever. Um, but, of course, uh, if you're asking me what to do on, on that day in Dortmund if you don't have a ticket, I don't want to say you're on your own, but obviously there are a lot of bars where you can go to, but I can already tell you that it's going to be really, really full and it's going to be really difficult um, to really uh, watch the game somewhere. Maybe a secret shot could be the West Park, um, because A, that's not that far away from the stadium and uh, the weather is supposed to be nice. That's uh, where I watch the Champions League final and there will be some video screens as well and, you know, all around quite nice there if you don't really... Uh, if you can do with the smell of wheat and uh, <laughs> unlike Lars I would uh, actually uh, recommend to not drink that much but uh, rather take in the moments and especially uh, the next day if you're uh, there for the title parade uh, obviously being drunk is nice and fun and whatnot but uh, try to remember these things and not knock your lights out and of course uh, very importantly uh, do it for me, just go to Wurstwilli and enjoy a nice currywurst because that's certainly what I am craving right now and uh, can't. So uh, <laughs> please do that. Uh, that's uh, even, even if the lines are long, <laughs> have patience. And otherwise, um, yeah, I think in the, in the city center, every bar will be showing the game. So just make sure you find a spot and, and, and keep it. Uh, Matthias, I don't know if you have any other advice, knowing that uh, you yourself have been in Dortmund a few times as well, but um, I don't really have any any major points right now. It, don't get too drunk, you know, if you're not from Dortmund and you don't speak the language, you know, safety, you always have to keep that in mind. There are places in Dortmund that are not savory, so, um, but aside from that, if you are going to be there, have a good time, enjoy it, soak it up. And like uh, Stefan said, maybe not get pass out drunk uh, because uh, this this is kind of a, a cool experience. A nice, a nice buzz is always OK then if you're going to go that route. If you don't drink alcohol, it's even better. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much uh, all I, I have to say. Four minutes. Ah, fuck. <laughs> I totally forgot about it. <laughs> Ah, yes, Hummels, yes, he has extended his contract for another season, which, uh, of course, is huge, because uh, I've had a phone call with a friend the other day, and we were sort of asking ourselves how Dortmund were going to replace uh, Hummels, should he retire, and uh, it didn't feel like an easy, obvious answer, so in my book, considering that Mats Hummels uh, is in a, in a really good form right now, and there's no uh, World Cup in between or, or other big tournament, um, I think he can conserve some of that form and obviously going forward uh, I think he will not be an automatic starter in 100% of the game but uh, a very great player to have around. Uh, 
last since uh, you uh, <laughs> remembered, <laughs> unlike other hosts of this podcast, uh, what are your thoughts on him extending? I'm reasonably surprised because if when when you watched him react after the game celebrating with his son and whatever, it kind of felt to me like he was taking it all in for the the final few games of his career. Um, I wouldn't have been shocked if he said, you know, I want to uh, end it on a high note uh, and and retired after winning the title or maybe not winning the title um, on on Saturday. Uh, but obviously his signature is very important. As you said, it would have been difficult to replace him. I think uh, I wouldn't necessarily say he was the best center half of Dortmund this season because the the the, the high marks of Schlotterbeck were fairly special and, and are going to get even better. But I think in terms of being a consistently good player, I think Hummels was Dortmund's number one setter back this season. And that's obviously quite valuable. And he's, uh, without any disrespect to Marco Reus, I think Mats Hummels is the most natural leader in, in this squad and kind of the secret captain anyway, probably. Um, and so keeping him around, uh, especially on reduced wages, uh, is quite big. And I didn't uh, even think I'm, of the reduced wage aspect. Yeah, I mean it's not our money, so ultimately it doesn't really matter. But it's it's not the worst to know that uh, a player is uh, willing to go for a bit less money uh, to stick around. And I think uh, even those who were against Hummels returning from Bayern a few years back. I think even those people have found new respect for him over the years. So I, even if I'm a Patriots fan and I'm kind of of the opinion of Bill Belichick that you should always get out of a player's contract a year too uh, earlier rather than too late, I think there's more of a nostalgia factor that makes sense in football uh, or in soccer uh, as opposed to the NFL because obviously there's no salary cap. So even if Hummels and Reus were to fall off a cliff over the next year uh, of their new contracts, it uh, doesn't really matter because you don't uh, have a salary cap. So, uh, But also, I just don't think that's going to happen because Hummels' playing style is kind of timeless and I think he could do this until he's, uh, his body completely gives up. So if that's <laughs> 38, 39, I don't know. Um, but... I don't necessarily see a reason why Hummels shouldn't be able to put this level of performance in for another season or two. So keeping him around, kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, Matthias? Yeah, I mean, the the good thing with having him for another season just basically ensures Dortmund have a little bit more time to find a replacement um, and work in Schlotterbeck and Zule. It, it, it's good all around. It's it's a win-win for everybody. That's my deep analysis. Uh, Lars, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, however big the temptation might be, don't go onto the black market for tickets because there's a very decent chance, especially for this game, where Dortmund could quite feasibly have sold a half a million tickets uh, uh, legally or you know actual tickets that um, if you show up with... Uh, dubious tickets you will be turned away at the gates and uh if if that happens to you you're definitely too late to get a spot in, in a bar anywhere around the stadium so you might be stuck with either listening to the game on uh you know radio or whatever or if you are german and have sky 
watching it with uh, at least two and a half minutes of latency on uh, SkyGo, which uh, would take out all the fun because you will definitely be able to hear what happens in the game regardless of where you are uh, anywhere around the stadium and I would assume anywhere really in the city center or around the city center. So uh, even if you're incredibly rich uh, and, and can afford to spend whatever amount of money on tickets on via GoGo or eBay or wherever, it's not worth it. Uh, give that money to charity or to us, which is basically charity, <laughs> but uh, but don't don't show up at the gates with dubious tickets because that's going to absolutely ruin your experience. So uh, stay stay legal. Uh, mm-hmm. If it if it doesn't happen with tickets, there's always uh, ways to enjoy a game even without being in the stadium. And I I would also kind of say, uh, especially if you're not local. Um, it might not be worth it to go into Dortmund expecting too much on Saturday because the the big, if they even win the title, <laughs> disclaimer, uh, <laughs> the big things are going to happen on Sunday. So especially if you are, uh, you know, maybe even coming in from abroad. Uh, well, I can guarantee th- you there will be auto courses. There will be there will be mayhem on the streets if Dortmund yeah, win the title but on, on but it's, Saturday. But it's not. But it's not the organized thing. It's not organized, but quite quite unlikely to see any of the players because there's no Levin Zubutich who's uh, jumping on cars in in just regular as roads. So, if you want to have the the true experience of celebrating with or adjacent to the players, uh, Sunday is your big day, not Saturday. Yeah, but I mean, if you just go to the city center uh, or the Kreuzviertel, there will be parties everywhere. So I'm not. Yeah, really... but not the not the original one and and. And the the city have actually uh, put out statements, kind of asking people not to come into the city on Saturday, because obviously a lot of people will do anyway. So uh, if you're not local, you don't know uh, your way around. Obviously, you can just follow the masses of people in black and yellow. Uh, but still, if if you can make plans uh, and you don't have tickets for the game, it, it might be a better idea just to come into the town on Sunday and celebrate instead of. Uh, frantically trying to find a spot to watch a game because, quite honestly, if you're going to any kind of bar uh, in in central areas, you might have to be very early. And even if you want to get a pass out drunk on Saturday, uh, you don't want to start on 9 a.m. because that's kind of sad. Well, here's my thought. If people are smart enough to tune into the Yellow World Pod, I think they're sensible enough to have a good time <laughs> either way uh, and, and be able to figure it out. Matthias, do you have any final closing thoughts before we embark on this nervous <laughs> yet exciting journey towards Saturday? Not really. Uh, aside from I hope my kids get to celebrate uh, Dortmund Bundesliga title. That's about it. All right. Here's mine. Let's go and fucking win it. <laughs>